Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Thank you for being here this morning. Hope that you got some pancakes. How many of you ate some pancakes today? Anybody? All right. How many of you ate 10 pancakes this morning? Anybody? Anybody want to admit to it? Man, what a fun day of fellowship for us as a church. If you're a guest, uh, welcome. I uh, hope that you have just found this place, uh, Green Hill Church, to be a place uh, that, that is caring, that is inviting. Uh, we, we like to say that you can, uh, that this is a place for family, but also a place to find family. And so I hope today that you find uh, family here at Green Hill Church. Well, this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to continue on in our series as we've been walking through uh, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And uh, we'll be finishing out uh, chapter 3. And really, uh, I love the end of this chapter for a lot of reasons. But one in particular is that what we see and what we learn about is one of the most profound and important doctrines of our faith. And it's this, the doctrine of the union with Christ the doctrine of union with Christ. Now you're like, what is the doctrine of union with Christ? Let me, let me just say it very clearly. It's this, that scripture teaches us that if you are a Christian, that if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. This is the doctrine of the union with Christ, that we are in him and that he is in us. The idea of in Christ is a phrase that Paul uses throughout all of his writings. It's one of his, his favorite statements. It points to this picture over in Colossians chapter 1. We're not studying this passage, but just to, to point it out, verse 27, it says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, this idea of the union with Christ is a mystery. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but listen to what he says about this mystery. This mystery is what? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about the implications of this. Paul's going to teach us in Galatians chapter 3 that we are in Christ. He teaches us in Colossians that Christ is in us. It's this doctrine of union with Christ. Now let me see if I can help us understand the impact of this. Now, all of you showed up today thinking there's no way that he could use pumpkin spice as another illustration. Indeed, I can. And part of this is a confession. Last Sunday as we were leaving, my wife looked at me and she said, she said, you know that you eat pumpkin muffins. And I I said, you can't tell people that. (laughs) And she said, you know that in pumpkin muffins that she makes includes pumpkin spice. And I said, you definitely can't tell me that. And I started having remorse and regret and conviction of sin and all of these things. And then I remembered this doctrine of the union with Christ, that Christ is in us. And everything changes when Christ gets in us. And here's how I remembered it. See, she's not just making pumpkin muffins. She puts chocolate chips in the pumpkin muffins. And they're great. (laughs) 
So I see it not as eating pumpkin muffins. I eat chocolate chip muffins. <laughs> and that's silly. But there's something to be said here that when you, you, when you put something in something, it changes it. And when Christ gets inside of you, he changes you. And when you find your life in Christ, your life is different. And so we have this idea, this understanding of this union with Christ, that Christ is in us and that we are in Christ. And it really all ties around this idea of belonging to Christ, that we belong to him. Now, when we have this picture of belonging to something or to someone, we see it in different ways. We can see as I'm connected, I, I belong, there's an association with, and unfortunately, don't miss this, sometimes in our Christian faith, we see our belonging with Christ as simply as an association with Jesus. But the scripture teaches us something much deeper here, that we're not just connected with Christ, it's Christ in us in us, in Christ. And so the question, I have two questions for us this morning. The first one is very simple. Do you belong to Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Not are you associated with Christ, but is Christ in you, in you, in Christ? Do you belong to him? And the second question is this. If indeed you do belong to him, what are the marks? What's the evidence of that? And what we're going to find in Galatians chapter 3 is that indeed the people that Paul is writing to are in Christ. They do belong to him. And then there are three pictures, three realities that are true of them that ought to be true of us as well. So our main text this morning is going to be verses 26 through 29. But what I want to do as we read it, I want to start in verse 23 to get the full picture, the full understanding of what Paul is saying. So verse 23, read it with me, Galatians chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that word justified, just real quick, what is it? It means that we have been declared not guilty. How are we declared not guilty? By faith in Christ. So we go on, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, there it is, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see this idea of belonging. We go on, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. We see over and over again in this text this belonging to Christ, in Christ, in Christ, into Christ. They've put on Christ. So as we think about this, it's important, the reason I read verses 23 through 25, which we covered last week, I want to I bring that back up because it's important for us to wrap our minds around. You and I were created to belong to God. 
We were created for union with God, for intimacy with God, for fellowship with God. This is what we were designed for. This is how God created us. But what we see in verse 23, as Paul's writing to these Galatian Christians, he says, before faith came. In other words, at one point, you didn't belong to God. What were you? You were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith, when it was revealed. So in other words... There was a time in your life when you did not belong to God, you were imprisoned, you were held captive. This is what the scripture says, and this is the true reality for all people. While God did not create you to be in prison, you found yourself in prison because of your sinful nature, because of your rebellion against the holy God, because of your imperfection, because you chose your way instead of God's way. And the scripture is very clear here. You aren't just a sinner that does bad things. You are imprisoned. And if you have ever been in prison, I haven't, but if you have, maybe you have, you know that in prison you are trapped. There are bars around you. There are chains attached to you. You are helpless. And there is a desperate need for someone to come and rescue you, to set you free from your chains. And the scripture says in verse 25, this is powerful. He says, but now that faith has come. In other words, you were in prison, you were enchained, you were helpless, but now faith has come. And what does it say? You are no longer under a guardian, meaning this, you have been set free. So there is freedom in Christ. And in that, there is belonging to him. Notice what it says in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, what does it say? You are all sons of God. Here's the picture of belonging. In Christ, you are sons of God. Now, next week, we're going to deal with this idea of what it means to be a son of God. And it's powerful, so I hope you come back next week. But I want to focus in on this idea of belonging to God in Christ. You see, it is in Christ that we belong to him, this association, this union with him. And it is powerful, and it is impactful in our lives. Charles Spurgeon once said it this way, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. Now, this is important to wrap your mind around. There is union with Christ positionally, meaning this, that in faith, God brings you into him, into union with him. Positionally, you are right before God. Our only hope to stand before God righteous is that we are in Christ. This is our position before God. We are in Christ. But it's not simply just a position. It's, a, it's an experience. It's a fellowship, it's an intimacy, it's a warmth, it's a, it's a knowing one another, it's, it's intimacy, it's union with Christ. And this is what we have through faith. There's joy in it because in our position comes an understanding of the realities of what we have in Christ. Over in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How? In Christ Jesus, you've been brought near. You've been brought close. Listen, church, our only hope of being in Christ is if we are out of prison. And the only hope of us being out of prison is when we place faith in a rescuer who can rescue us from prison. 
This is Jesus Christ. So in that, we belong to him. And so the question that I have for you is the same statement that is found in verse 25, but now faith has come. Here's the question. Has faith come in your life to where you now belong to Jesus? Do you belong to him? Has there been a time in your life when you, by faith, have rested in the promise of God and what Jesus has done and that he has rescued you from your imprisonment of sin and set you free in Christ, belonging to him? Is this true of your life? Well, it was true for these Galatian Christians. They had indeed become in Christ. They belonged to him. And so what Paul does next in verses 27 through 29 is he reminds them of this and he reminds them of some realities that are true of them that ought to be true of us as well. And this is where I want to focus our time now. Do these realities, do these evidences show themselves in your life? The first one is this, that if you are in Christ, that you belong to Christ, then you have been baptized. Now, you could misunderstand me in this statement. It's really interesting that Paul brings up baptism. Notice verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Now, this is the first and only time that Paul mentions baptism in this letter. And it's, it, 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 there's a lot of people who look at this and pull this verse out of context and say, see, you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, if you go read the rest of Galatians that we've studied, you would know very clearly. And even just looking at the verse right before this, that's not true. What does the verse right before say? But now that faith has come, you are no longer a guardian, under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through, not baptism, through faith. Through faith. So it is faith that saves, not baptism, but yet he addresses baptism in this moment. And I find it fascinating because it's almost as if Paul is climbing a mountain to show that it is faith and faith alone that justifies us, that sets us free, that rescues us, all of these things, that salvation is through faith and faith alone. He gets to the pinnacle of it to say, it's faith, it's faith. Now, remember when you got baptized? Why? Why is he saying that? Because baptism is the public demonstration of an internal faith. And what he's doing, he says, remember that tangible moment where faith became real. It wasn't just an inward thought that you had. It wasn't just lip service that you gave. It was your life saying you identify with Christ. You have been baptized into Christ, it says. And it is a picture of your union with Christ. You see, baptism is the visible and public demonstration of inward saving faith. And Paul brings it to light here to remind them that you are indeed are in Christ. The evidence of that is that you walked into that water and you were baptized. Now, it's important to understand some truths, some realities about baptism to make sure that we're clear on this. Let me offer you three realities about baptism. First one is this. Baptism is commanded by God and demonstrated by the early church. There are a lot of people who say, why should I be baptized? Isn't faith enough? Yes, faith is enough. Absolutely. But God commanded us 
those who place faith in Jesus to be baptized. And this isn't something that we made up in this day, in this church. This is something that's been going on for all of Christianity, from the earliest of churches. Galatians is one of the earliest churches formed. And what we see is when he says in verse 26, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ. In other words, for all of you who are saved, who belong to Christ, who are in Christ, you've been baptized. In other words, one of the first things they did after placing faith in Jesus, hearing the gospel, is they got baptized. And so it was practiced early in the church, and it's still practiced today. Why? Because it's commanded by God. Over in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we have the Great Commission, and it says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, comma, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not go get people to believe in Jesus and be great. It's get them to believe in Jesus and then identify with Jesus through baptism. It's the picture of our faith. Now, number two, second, baptism will not save you. Let me be very clear. I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. Baptism will not save you. We see it in Galatians chapter 1, 2, and 3. Ephesians chapter 2. It is by faith that you are saved. Everywhere in Scripture is faith and faith alone. Baptism will not save you. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and he was having a conversation with some criminals next to him and one of them said this in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He looked to Jesus, lifted up, as the scripture says, believed in him and recognized that his only hope for all of eternity was the man who was on the cross in the middle. And he says, remember me. And this is what Jesus says. Well, if you can get down off the cross and run over to the river real quick before you die, then you can come in. No. Jesus says immediately, he says to him, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. That man was not baptized, yet he was saved. But let me just throw this at you. I believe that had that man and Jesus interacted not on a cross, heading to the grave, but on the street, walking down the road, that man would have been baptized. You see, in the Bible, we see all the time that people who have faith are baptized. Not people are baptized to have faith. Faith comes first with salvation and then baptism. So that's the second. The third is this. Baptism is a, what is it? A, it's a public identification of our faith in Jesus. Now, this is important. It's the whole picture of what baptism is. And this is why when he says, many of you are baptized into Christ, it's the picture of our identification with Christ. Listen, if we're going to belong to Christ, then we have to identify with Christ. And here's how we identify with Christ. We are dead, but yet he raises us back to life. So you had the privilege of witnessing a baptism this morning, the visible illustration that someone walks into this water recognizing that they are in prison, that they are um, self-ish, that they are full of sin, that there is no hope, but in that they are dead. Just as Christ went to the grave, so we go to the grave. We identify with him in that. But yet our faith is in not just the rescuer, the one who resurrects, and brings life. And so 
we are raised to this new life that is in Christ Jesus. It is the visible picture of our faith and our identification with Christ. Now, this is an important part of this that you need to understand. Baptism is meant for people who have already placed faith in Jesus. Baptism comes after salvation. I've encountered people many times who would say, well, I was baptized as an infant. Okay, did you place faith in Jesus as an infant? Or did someone on your behalf get you baptized? It's very clear. There was no faith on your part in that. I, I encounter people all the time who at a very young age, not as an infant, but as a child, they, they understand that, man, I should get baptized. My friends are getting baptized. I ought to get baptized. So I go get baptized thinking that it's something I'm supposed to do. But later on in their life, they recognize their sinfulness and recognize their need for Jesus and place faith in Jesus. And they're saved at that point. The Bible says that baptism comes after salvation. As you know, in Acts, the word baptize or baptism is mentioned 26 times, and it is always after someone's placed faith in Jesus. This is the picture of baptism, and this is what we see in Galatians in this early church, that as these individuals place faith in Jesus when they hear the gospel, the demonstration of that is their walk in obedience. They're baptized, they're dead in their sin, they're raised to walk in They've identified with Christ. Here's the question. If you belong to God, has the evidence of that been demonstrated through public baptism? You had the privilege, like I said, to see one this morning. I am so fired up. We have, I think, seven more baptisms lined up over the next couple weeks. God is at work moving in people's lives. And my prayer is that maybe this morning God would stir in your heart to say, I need to identify with Christ and publicly profess my faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. Have you been baptized? The second evidence that you belong to Christ is this. Number two, that you are clothed with Christ. You are clothed with Christ. I love this this picture that Paul paints here, still in verse 26 or verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Put on Christ. In the ESV, it says put on. In other translations, it says clothe yourself with Christ. The, the word put on here, the Greek, it literally means it's the same word that someone would use to when they dress themselves, when they clothe themselves in the morning. You guys all did a wonderful job this morning. You clothed yourself before you came to church. Well done. Now, many of you all clothed yourself like me, and you wore your flannel, right? Now, we did not align this, but it's the perfect illustration for us in this. As we clothe ourselves, it says something about us. If you were to come here to church and look at me and I dress like this every day, you'd think I'm a lumberjack. I'm just missing the beard. Our clothes say something about us, don't they? So as we think about this idea of what it means for us to clothe ourselves with Christ, there are some implications for our life of what that means. Let me offer them to you. The first one is this. When we clothe ourselves with Christ, we have a new identity with Christ. That's us saying that we are putting on this new identity. In our culture, in our world, clothes have a lot to do with identity. Have you ever noticed that? 
Young people today, they dress in a certain way to demonstrate something about themselves, how they identify. We live in a culture and a world where you can identify as whatever you want to identify as, and you dress and you appear that way because you want the world to know you have identified that way. And what Paul is saying is when you put on Christ, you're saying that your identity is no longer in anything else but him and him alone. You put on Christ. This is at Halloween. We ran into a young, young man yesterday at lunch that was dressed as Spider-Man. He'd gone to the city park and he was getting candy and he was fired up. And, and when you ever see a young man dressed as Spider-Man, he's always going around and he's shooting out webs and like crawling on things. Why? Because he's taking on the identity of how he is dressed. This is what it means for us to put on Christ. We take on the identity of Christ and we live out Christ in our lives. And this is powerful, church, for us to understand, particularly when we understand where we've been. If you go back to verse 23 and it says that you are imprisoned, that you're in chains, that you're held captive. I don't know about you, but again, I've never been in prison. Maybe you have. But in prison, you get prison clothes. Have you noticed this? You don't get to dress how you want. You put on your prison clothes. This is who we are before Christ. But yet when you are set free from prison, you've ever seen it in the movies, right? They put on new clothes. And the picture of the the journey that Paul's putting on here is powerful in that it's not just prison clothes, but we have grave clothes on outside of Christ. When we don't belong to Christ, we are, in essence, got our grave clothes on. And if you remember when Jesus was having a conversation with Lazarus, who was dead, but in the grave, he says, Lazarus, come out. And he says, take off the grave clothes and come out. And he does. So when we get saved, we take off the grave clothes and we demonstrate the new life that we have. We go down into the water of baptism and then we come up out of the water and we put on new robes. We put on new clothes. We put on Christ. Isn't that a powerful picture of our new identity in him and who we are in him? Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ including my own identity. See, church, there are many of you who belong to Christ, but you're still wearing your grave clothes. You're still wearing the identity of what you were outside of Christ and some of the, sh- the, the, the shame or maybe even some of the guilt, some of the sin, some of the things that you walked in before are still carried with you. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 that's not who you are. You put on Christ. You now belong to Christ. Christ is in you and you are in him. Your identity is new. Church, this is freeing. This is freeing. So we have a new identity in Christ. Secondly, we have a new intimacy in Christ. When we put on Christ, there's a new intimacy. Have you ever noticed how close clothes are? Have you ever noticed that when you walk out of your house with your clothes on, they go with you? They're everywhere with you. When you put on Christ, there is a closeness. There is an intimacy. He is with you in all things. You are with him in all things. There is a union, a uniting, an intimacy that you have with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, again, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are so close. We are so united. We are so intimate that it's not even me living my life. It's Christ living in me. Are you close with Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus in such a way that there is an intimacy 
of fellowship, an experiential knowing that God is with you, that you commune together. This is what you were made for. This is what he longs for. This is what it means to put on Christ. So we have a new identity, a new intimacy, and thirdly, we have a new imitation. A new imitation, meaning this, that when we put on Christ, we imitate Christ. It gets lived out in our lives. Over in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same language that Paul's using in Galatians. You clothe yourself with Lord Jesus Christ. And then what? And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In other words, when you put on Christ, it changes your behavior. You no longer imitate the things of your flesh and the desires of the flesh or the things of the world, but you now begin to imitate the things of God. This is why in Colossians, Paul tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is why in a few weeks we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit, that when we clothe ourselves with Christ and Christ is in us through the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. We imitate the things of God in our life. Listen, church, the evidence that you belong in intimacy with God is that you imitate God. There ought to be a difference in your life. Put on Christ. One of my favorite verses tied with this idea of being clothed comes from Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Notice what it says. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see, when you clothe yourself with Christ, you have a new covering. You've been covered. We see this over in Genesis chapter 3. Did you know this? After Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They ate from the fruit of the tree that God says don't do. All of a sudden, their eyes were open, their minds were open, and they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. They were ashamed. So immediately they go and hide and they find some fig leaves and they try to cover themselves as best they can. And they're hiding from God and God comes and finds them and he says, who told you you were naked? Right, God knows. They ate from the tree, knowledge of good and evil. And so all of a sudden God's speaking to them. He's bringing um, punishment and it's showing the result. Here's the implication. The curse is now here because of your choice. But then God does something in verse 27 that's powerful. It says, and the Lord, verse 21, excuse me, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. It's a picture of the gospel of what was to come. That in that moment, in their shame, in their guilt, God clothes them, he covers them, and in our salvation, he clothes us fully in Christ Jesus. Put on Christ. So we come to The third evidence, if you will, of our belonging to Christ, it's this, that you are united with the church. You are united with the church. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at what he says in verse 28. He moves on and he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, after reminding them that they have put on Christ, they now say there's no distinct, all of these divisions that are in our culture, they're gone. We are now one in Christ. Now, again, people like to take Scripture and pull it out of context and read it and make it say what they want it to say. This verse is used all the time in our culture to say, see, there's no male, there's no female, there's whatever gender you want it to be. This is not what Paul is talking about. See, Paul is looking out and he's seeing Greek and he's seeing Jew. He's looking out and he's seeing slave and he's seeing free. He's looking out and he's seeing man and he's seeing woman. But what he's saying is that in Christ, we are all unified. Listen, there is still distinctions among people, but there are no divisions in the body of Christ. There's distinctions, but no divisions. You see, you got to understand the context and the culture of what was happening in that time. He gives these three categories, Jews nor Greeks. You see, the Jews thought that they were everything. They were the heirs of the promise. The Greeks were not. And the whole letter is written about this battle between the Jews and the Gentiles where Paul is saying, Gentiles, no, you belong to the promise because of faith in Christ, because you belong to Christ. And the Jews are coming along saying, that's fine and all, but if you really, you need to become like us. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the laws. You need to become Jewish to become right before God. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Greek, Jew, all the same before Christ. We all belong together. Slave and free. The free man would say, I'm the privileged one. The slave would say, I'm not the privileged one. I don't have anything. And what Paul is saying to the slave really is to say, no, no, no. In Christ, you have everything. And what he's saying to the free man is say, no, no, no. Don't be arrogant. Don't look down. You are the same as them, sinners in need of a savior. And then he gets to the male and the female. And he's not saying that there's no such thing as male, no such thing as female. Let me be very clear. There is one thing, it's male. There's one thing, it's female. You're either male or you're female and it's what God assigned you. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what your identity wants it to be. This is what the scripture says. So what is he talking about when he says there's no male, no female? This is what he means. In that culture, in that context, only the male could be an heir. In other words, only a male could receive the inheritance. But what he's saying is, and because of that, women were oppressed, women were looked down on. But what he's saying, no, 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 in the church, if we're gonna be in Christ, if we're gonna belong to Christ, then we're all the same. There's no division. Women and men all receive the promise, the inheritance in Christ Jesus. And so there is a union with the church that happens when you belong to Christ. Remember, Paul is talking to the local body. He's talking to a local church. And he's just said, hey, you remember, you've been baptized. You've identified with Christ. Did you know that this is the picture that baptism is the entrance into the body of Christ? In other words, Baptism is the demonstration that you belong to the body. And he says, but since you've put on Christ, you are all one. Now, church, this is important for us, practically speaking. 
See, if we are going to say that we love Jesus and we belong to Jesus, then we need to be a people who love his church and belong to his church. Can I just say that? I'm gonna step on some toes here for a minute. Church is not an extracurricular activity that you do because you want to be a better person. The church is the body of Christ that you belong to with brothers and sisters in Christ when you are all one together. And it is the church that's the mechanism to portray the goodness and the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ to be on mission for him and his kingdom. And if we lose sight of that, then the church ceases to be the church. And when we lose sight of the fact that we are in Christ and that we have put on Christ and that we are one in Christ, then all of a sudden the world looks at the church as the world often does and say, see those hypocrites? They don't even love each other. All they do is fight and argue and bicker and complain. But you see, church, when we are one in Christ, our mission is fixed on him. Our love is fixed on him. And we see each other not as black or white, not as um, yellow or blue or uh, this language or that language or this nation or that nation. We see each other all as one in Christ Jesus. Did you know that all over the world today, there are people not like you who are worshiping the same God as you because you are one in Christ? Praise the Lord. And one day we're all going to stand before the throne of God from all nations and all tongues and all tribes. And we're all in one going to declare the glory of his goodness. And so if you don't like the church today, I wonder if you're going to like it then. We are unified together as the body of Christ. The evidence of belonging to Jesus is that you belong and that you are one in unity with the church. And then we come to verse 29. And Paul says this, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Doesn't matter what nation, doesn't matter what tribe, doesn't matter what language, doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what any, you are all one in Christ. You belong, you are an heir to the promise. But notice what he says at the beginning of that verse, and if you are Christ, meaning this, if you belong to Jesus, if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, then in, indeed it is true. And if you are, there ought to be evidence. You've been baptized, you've put on Christ, and you are one with the church. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? The question that I have for you is simple. Do you belong to Christ? Now, do you claim him with your mouth? Now, do you associate with him because you go to church? But do you belong to Christ? Is Christ in you and you in Christ? If so... Have you demonstrated that publicly through believer's baptism? Recognizing that you're dead in your sin, but that Jesus Christ and Jesus alone can raise you from the dead. If not, be baptized. Be obedient. Are you daily putting on Christ? Just as you go to your closet to put on clothes, are you daily putting on Christ? Finding your identity in him. Finding intimacy in him imitating him in all that you say and all that you do. And then here's the last one. Are you committed and unified 
to the local church? Or is it just an activity that you do each week? My prayer is that God would speak into your life. He would move you to obedience. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. God, I pray that through your spirit and your might, you would draw people to yourself for the ones that don't belong to you this morning. Would you show them your grace and your kindness and that you long to rescue them from the prison of sin and set them free. God, may this be a church that demonstrates what it means to belong to Christ, to the way we live, to the way we engage. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'll be down front. If you need someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. If you want to talk about baptism, we've got some folks that can do that with you. I'll be happy to talk with you after the service as well. You respond as the Lord leads this morning. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.